Hey, welcome, Emmanuel. If you're joining us online, welcome as well. We're so glad that you're here today. Back in the summer, in our summer series, working our way through Paul's letter to the church in Colossa, the last message in that series had to do with God's answer to loneliness. And as I talked about that, I said, that's really a down payment on this series that I'm beginning today that will run for five weeks entitled Friends, The Art of Friendship. There is at this moment in America a lot of relational poverty. That is a fancy term for there's a lot of lonely people. 25 years ago, the average American said they had six friends that they could count on, six close friends that they could go to and just hang out with. Today, the average American says, I have two friends. 30% of all Americans say they don't have any close friendships at all. God's answer to loneliness, God's answer to relational poverty is friendship. I don't know if you've ever thought about from this perspective before, but friendship is the one word that describes the entire experience of the Christian life. For those of you who came from a Catholic background, you may know the name of Thomas Aquinas. He was a great theologian in the Catholic Church. He said, what is the church but friends who are friends of Jesus? What is the Eucharist but the meal among friends who remember we are friends of Jesus? And what is baptism but the welcoming of new friends into the community of friends who are friends of Jesus? And that's what this series is about. It's about learning to develop meaningful, heartfelt, in-depth friendships, particularly among those who are friends of Jesus. So to begin our journey, I'm going to invite you to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 9 through 17 together. So would you stand, please, as we read the Word of God. John chapter 15, 9 through 17. Jesus speaking, he said, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. Let's bow our heads together. 
Jesus, give us a word through your spirit today about overcoming relational poverty. There may be those listening this moment who their friendship boat is full and their life is full. But if we are like the average American, we're struggling in our friendships. So God, help us today as we begin this journey on the art of friendship to hear your voice, our best friend's voice. Come and speak, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So I may have missed it growing up, but I've heard Jesus referred to many times as my Lord, my Savior, my Justifier, my Sanctifier, my Comforter, my Counselor, my Advocate, the Spirit of Jesus. But somewhere along the way, I never quite really ever heard a message about Jesus being my friend. If you were to just soak for a little while in the idea that Jesus is your friend, that may change the whole of your Christian life. And that's what today is about. Why Jesus is the best friend you will ever have. So why is Jesus the best friend you'll ever have? Number one, Jesus always has your best interests at heart. Verse 9, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Now the Greek word used here for love is agape. Many of you may have heard that term before. But agape is a selfless love. It is the love of the will. It's not the ushy-gushy-mushy love. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with ushy-gushy-mushy. I'm just saying it's not sentimental love. It's not, oh, you make my heart beat faster love. That's eros love. It's the kind of love that looks at a person and says, I care for you so much that I'm always going to have your best interests at heart. In August, we had our grandchildren for three weeks in a row. Our youngest grandson, Carson, he's two and a half, and we had all kinds of fun with Carson. We went on amusement rides, we were down the beach, it, he was at our house, and we did all kinds of fun things, and he just loved being with us, and we loved being with him. We did all of his favorite things. He's at that stage where he, you know, he's still developing his words, and so you know, when he wants to have a tickle fight with Pop-Pop, he just throws up his shirt <laughs> and just goes, and he doesn't stop until we have a tickle fight. We had a blast for three weeks. But um, we also asked Carson to do some things he didn't want to do, like take a bath, brush his teeth, eat something other than cookies. And he's taking after his brother, Paxton, who we call Nakey Boy. We'd ask Carson to put on clothes, which was a struggle. Our time with Paxton 
exemplifies agape love because we did all kinds of fun things that Carson loved, but we also did some things that Carson didn't love, but were really in his best interest. This is both sides of agape love. Doing things that Carson likes, but also doing things he doesn't like, but are best for him. And that's how Jesus loves you and me. You and I enjoy immense blessings from the Lord. I could take a microphone and go around to each of you and say, how has God blessed you? And if you really thought about it, you say, oh, I have this and I have this and I enjoy this and I enjoy this. And we could take up, you know, you know the rest of the day just going around giving quick testimonies. But there are also seasons of our life that can only be described as character development moments. It's when the Lord Jesus allows certain things to just happen in our lives and they don't feel good. Maybe they are a choice that someone has laid on you. You didn't want that choice, but they made a decision and it's affected you. Maybe they're a self-destruction and you've made some choices that have deeply impacted you and you wish that things were different. Some of you have been betrayed by a friend. Some of you have been misunderstood and judged for it. Some of you have had financial reversals. Some of you have a child on drugs. God did not cause these things, but he is using them to develop your character. And the big question that we always have to come back to when it comes to those character develop moments are, does Jesus really love me? And does he love me in a way that I embrace all of the good and all of the bad that he has allowed to come into my life and then pull a Romans 8.28, for I know that in all things God works for the good to those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. In other words, God is using even the character develop moments, whether they're self-inflicted choices we've made or choices that other people have made, or it's just life that has happened. God is taking all of that and he's eventually turning it toward himself so that it works out for your best. So Jesus is your best friend because he's always going to take whatever life throws at you and he'll turn it around for your good because he loves you and he has your best interest at heart. Number two, Jesus is your best friend because he sacrificed himself for you. Verse 13, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. A few months ago, Holly and I saw the HBO series Chernobyl. On April 26, 1986, two explosions rocked one of the nuclear reactors at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant in northern Ukraine. There were plumes of radioactive smoke that were sent immediately into the air, and two engineers were killed immediately, and 49 other people were rushed to the hospitals, and they died agonizing deaths. Although massive, the damage could have been much worse. Engineers feared that radioactive material was traveling in a molten flow toward a large pool of water underneath the blown-up reactor. And if the two came into contact, they would cause a second explosion that would destroy Chernobyl's 
other three reactors. Now, if those other three reactors blew up, it is estimated that the nuclear fallout would cover half of Western Europe, killing tens of millions of people, destroying the land and the crops. It was a race against time. The pool of water needed to be drained before the molten flow from the reactor reached it. But who would go down into the water and drain the pipes and drain the pool? Fortunately, three men risked everything and volunteered to go down underneath the blown reactor to open the valves to drain the pool of water. Today, they are simply known as the Chernobyl Three. And in 2018, each of these men were honored in Ukraine for their sacrificial service. These men were willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice to save tens of millions of lives, and they did. But there's one who paid the ultimate sacrifice for billions Jesus is foreshadowing this here. Jesus is just a few days away from the cross. And he's saying to the disciples, I'm, I'm giving it all up for you. And you can trust me. And I'm always going to be your best friend because not only do I have your best interest at heart, but I'm willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice for you. And I'm willing to bridge the gap between you and a holy God. And he did. Why did he do that? Because he loves you, and he wants you to live a forgiveness, a forgiving life, and he wants you to walk free. Three, Jesus is your best friend because he's honest and open-hearted. Verse 15, I no longer call you slaves because a master does not confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. In the ancient world, I'm talking Greek days. In the Greek ancient world, there were always two great virtues of friendships. It's written about extensively in Greek literature. Two great virtues of friendship. The first is to be willing to sacrifice your life for a friend, exactly what we just talked about. The second is a little surprising. It's called frank talk. Frank talk. Emperors and kings would hire counselors specifically to tell them what no one else would. It is thought that the Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius hired an assistant to follow him wherever he went through the Roman Empire. The assistant's only role was this. When Marcus Aurelius would go to the town square and make a speech and everybody would cry out and say how wonderful he is, the assistant's job was to stand next to Marcus Aurelius and whisper in his ear over the adulation of the crowd, remember, you're just a man. Remember, you're just a man. Counselors would caution the king or the emperor against people who did not talk openly or honestly or authentically from the heart. In other words, you may go before the emperor and you may make your request. You may say all kinds of things about the emperor. Have you ever heard of the term buttering you up? 
oh, dad, you're the best dad ever. I can't, you're, if I had all the dads to pick from, from the, all the world, I'd pick you. Hey, can I borrow the car? And so these emperors would sit there for hours at a time and everybody's coming to get something from the emperor. And the counselor's standing off to the side and the counselor says nothing and he's listening. And before the king or the emperor does anything, the counselor just walks over and says, don't do it. They're not being honest with you. They're not exhibiting frank talk. This is what Jesus is doing in these verses. He's telling the disciples, you're no longer my students. It's graduation day. We're now friends. Why? Because I've confided in you. I've frank talked with you. Jesus is your best friend because he's always going to tell you the truth. Sometimes you need to hear the truth about yourself, that you're loved, that you're accepted unconditionally, that there's nothing you can ever do to earn God's approval, that he cares for you, that you can relax, that you're okay. Maybe some of you just needed to hear that this morning because you're caught up in a performance mindset of I'm not all that and you have other voices that are not telling you the truth. But Jesus wants you to hear those words today. You're enough. You know what's coming, right? But sometimes Jesus tells us something else. Hey, you, you can't do that and say you're a follower of me. Hey, you, you need to go and apologize because you really were super sharp with that person. Hey, we need to talk about your thought life. Because you're thinking all kinds of things that are just not healthy for you. Hey, let's talk about that habit. Because that habit is self-destructive and it's going to hurt you long term. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus has your best interest at heart. He's already given the ultimate sacrifice. He's, he's engaging in self-talk. Why? Not because he's, you know, Mr. Downer. He's engaging in, soft, uh, in, in frank talk because he has your best interest at heart. And so Jesus constantly builds you up in many areas, and then Jesus realizes that there are some areas of your life that need to be torn down in order to be built up in a healthy way. That's frank talk. It is Jesus' honesty that compelled him to say to the woman caught in the act of adultery, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. It is Jesus engaging in frank talk that says to Peter, do you love me? Three times. He's sending Peter a message. Feed my sheep. Okay. So what do you need to do 
to be Jesus' friend? I think it's two things. In this passage, Jesus highlights two things. The first is to simply remain in his love. Verses 9 and 10, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. What does it mean to remain in Jesus' love? I think it means something like this. Don't take Jesus for granted. I think most marriages begin warmly. Most marriages begin with a great desire to love and be loved, a, a warmth, an intimacy. But if you're not careful, if you're married for years and years and years, there's a tendency, unless, unless you buck up against it, there's a tendency to become stale and businesslike. And most of your conversations are just on a business level. Hey, did you pick up the kids today? Wait, did you get gas in the car? Hey, did you take the car, get it for inspection? And you just begin to, you know, act businesslike. You got to talk that way, right? Because you have a marriage. But if that's all you talk about, then you'll lose the intimacy and the warmth. Somebody with a little bit of sarcasm and humor has given the five stages of marriage. The first stage, the husband says, honey, I don't like the sound of that cough. I've called Dr. Miller and he's going to rush right over. Now you go to bed and I'll clean up the dishes. The second stage of marriage, maybe you better lie down, honey. I'll bring you something to eat. Hey, do we have any soup in the house? The third stage of marriage, Honey, you don't sound too good. After you fed the kids and washed the dishes, you better go to bed. Fourth stage of marriage. Why don't you take a couple of aspirin? If you just gargle or something, maybe that would help. Fifth stage of marriage. Oh, for heaven's sake, stop sneezing. What are you trying to do? Give me pneumonia? Throughout the course of your life and mine, we will experience plateaus with Jesus. Things will be really good and warm and intimate for a while, but you know, things level off. Don't raise your hand. How many of you came to church and you're like, yeah, just same old thing. Hope I get something out of it today. I hope they sing my favorite song. I hope Mark does not go beyond the time limit because <laughs> I've got my watch on. Oh, I've heard it all before. I've read that scripture dozens of times. There's nothing the preacher can say that I haven't heard before. I get it. I get it. But it's plateau. And throughout the course of your life, you and I are going to plateau. I have plateaued many times. Plateau for me, spiritually, looks like I'm just going through the motions. Not that that's bad, it's just that you can't go through the motions for months and years on end. You have to interrupt it. You have to do things to fight plateau. You have to purposely determine to go deeper in the Lord. 
I had, a, I had a wise counselor say to me one time, the first half of your life is God chasing you. The second half of your life is you chasing God. Stop and think about that. The first half of your life is God chasing you. But somewhere around midlife, it switches. And now you have to chase God. Because God has poured himself into you so much through the years, now it's time for you to say, okay, I'm going to chase the Lord because I'm good. I, God has blessed me in so many ways, and, and I know a lot in the Christian life, and I, I've got Christian friends, and I've, not, I've knocked down a lot of the big things in my life that used to hinder me in the Christian life, and, and now it's time for you to chase God. And so you need to do things like practicing spiritual disciplines on a regular basis you need to do things like sacrificing a little bit more you need to do things like pressing into the lord more for obedience hey it may be okay for people to go and do this 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 but you've decided in your life that you're just going to get rid of those things even though many christians do them but for you that's not an option for you you're not going to do that anymore and you're just going to practice going deeper and that's how you get off a plateau through a constant conscious pressing into the Lord. So how do you remain in Jesus' love? Just by not taking him for granted. By being intentional. Just like your marriage. You've got to be intentional in your marriage. I think there's a second thing, and that is love people the way Jesus did. And this, my friends, is very hard to do. Verse 13, this is my commandment, love each other the same way I've loved you. Your love for God is not a sentimental feeling or goosebumps in worship. Your love for God is proved by how you and I treat other people. After this series, Friends, where we're going to learn what healthy friendships look like, what unhealthy friendships look like, and what to do about them, how to be a friend, and how to gain friends. Five weeks, we're going to go into another series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? <laughs> and this whole series is going to be based on the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and what? Your neighbor as yourself. Now listen to this. Your love for God is proved by your love for people. We want our love to God, we want our love for God to be, oh, I, I just feel so close to the Lord today. I've done all these things and I did, oh, the worship song was great. No, no, I'm not saying that that's wrong or bad. I'm just saying your love for God is proved by your love for other people. Paul said it this way, Colossians 3. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Loving people means this. It means giving people the benefit of the doubt. It means thinking the best of people not the worst of people. When somebody says or does something that is a little off to you, instead of taking it negatively, maybe you just give them the benefit of the doubt and say, well, maybe they're having a bad day. 
It means forgiving anyone who has offended you because you've been offended. You know, there's a lot of Christians that are walking around with quiet feelings of resentment toward other people for something they said, something they did. Maybe it was last week or maybe it was years ago. Listen very closely. It's a command to forgive each other. You cannot not forgive people and say you're a follower of Jesus. Why is that? Because this is demonstrated this. So I want to close by um, offering you a friend challenge. Here it is. Number one, are you a friend of Jesus? Now I'm going to come back to that in just a moment, but just ask yourself the question, are you a friend of Jesus? Do you have a meaningful relationship with the Lord? You know, Queen Elizabeth II died, and you know, the, the queue to walk past her casket was like 25 hours you know, and I'm sure you're going to hear all kinds of things about Queen Elizabeth in the next few months or years. What was interesting about her, though, is that she really did have a genuine heart relationship with Jesus Christ. Nobody questions that. In fact, there were times in which some of her counselors would say to her, hey, we have so many different kinds of religion in, in, in the United Kingdom and in our commonwealth, so hey, could you tone it down a little bit? And um, at the next Christmas address, Queen Elizabeth turned it up and gave a gospel presentation. Now, you know, I'm on Facebook a lot. I see, I like the things that you're doing. Man, you're in Ontario this past week. Look great. I read something this week about Queen Elizabeth. That blew my mind. She is quoted as saying, she wished that Jesus Christ would return in her lifetime so that she could kneel at, her, at his feet and lay down her crown before him, the King of Kings. I find that compelling. I'm not saying Queen Elizabeth was perfect. I'm just saying, by all accounts, she had a relationship with Jesus Christ of depth and meaning. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? A friendship. Second friend challenge. List three friends that you can practice on this week. I mean, it, they could be here. You could look around right now. I mean, you could be, they could be sitting in the row next to you. You know, your spouse can be your friend. Just throwing that out there. Your kids could be your friends, right? So three friends you could practice on this week. Here's the practice. Do something that's totally in their best interest, completely selfless, something that's totally in their best interest, something self-sacrificial that costs you something like time or resources. It's a total giveaway for you. Thirdly, speak honestly and openly from the heart. Maybe it's been a long time since you and your spouse or child or friend have had a meaningful, in-depth conversation about something that really matters. So, so the friend challenge is find three friends to practice on this week. Do something that's totally in their best interest, that is self-sacrificial, 
and speak honestly and openly from the heart. And then lastly, is there anybody that you need to forgive? The biblical definition of forgiveness is releasing the right to punish. There's something inside of us that when somebody hurts us, that offends us, we, we get into this internal conversation of, boy, I wish they get theirs. Boy, I wish they come up. I wish somebody says something to them to cut them down a few. And we have these internal conversations. Listen, when you are having these internal conversations about somebody, that's an indicator that you're still hanging on to an offense. It's called revenge thinking. Revenge thinking is, I hope they get theirs. Let it go. Would you stand, please? I'm going to go back to are you a friend of Jesus? This series, in some ways, isn't going to make any sense on the deepest level unless you just come to a place of saying, I'm going to make Jesus my friend. Jesus is reaching out to you. He's saying, here I am. I paid the ultimate price. I love you, and I always will have your best interests at heart. I'm always going to tell you the truth, good and bad. Who wouldn't want a friend like that? So would you bow your heads together? If... If you would like to be a friend of Jesus this morning, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer. I'm going to ask you to step out in the aisle, actually. That's not to embarrass you. It's just to take a little step of faith and to say, no, I'm serious about this. So just step out in the aisle. And then after I pray this prayer, you can step right back in to where you're seated. But just take a little step of faith and pray this prayer. Jesus, I want you to be my best friend. Come into my life. I receive your forgiveness because you paid the ultimate price for me, dying on the cross to bridge the gap between me and God. So I receive that today. I ask that your blood would wash over all my sins. And I promise from this day forward that I'm going to do my best to walk in a relationship with you as you help me and guide me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. This has been a great day of worship together. I pray a blessing of dismissal and benediction over you. Go in God's grace today. Work on your friends. Come back next week. We're going to have a great time together. God bless you.